it is an amazing season to uh, not just the, all the traditions and the things that we do in and outside the house and, you know, hot chocolate is always on or, you know, different kinds of cinnamon drinks and all those things, trees up, so, you know, decorating. But there's, there's an opportunity for us as believers in this season that we don't let this moment, because it's every year, we anticipate there's so many, um, you know, cultural things that are attached and associated with Christmas that if we don't pay attention, we could just have an amazing celebration of a cultural event and miss it except for maybe a moment at home. But I've, I love Thanksgiving because it really reorients my heart to really being thankful to the Lord. And right after Thanksgiving, I'm like, oh, you came to live among us. What in the world? So I want to encourage us this morning to orient and reorient our hearts into this story fully. And I want to highlight just one scene of this Christmas story. Uh, and I, I really feel that there's an impartation out of this for us. It's bigger than we think. The story and, the, and the, the way that it unfolds, it's much bigger than we think. And I want my heart in this season not to be callous or be casual because we know how to celebrate Christmas, you know, thanks to my neighbors to, for keeping us on our, you know, on our toes, but I want my heart to be as if it was the first time. I want my heart to be like kids on, on, on Christmas morning. They don't sleep or they wake up at 4 a.m. and with the dog wake us up, you know, and, and um, it is a season of wonder and we can never lose that idea, the season of awe that we are re-engaged in this thing that God did for us. You know, as I read scriptures, there's this, I know Charles has been going through uh, the book of Romans, but uh, Paul in Romans is writing about God's redemptive plan from chapter one all the way through chapter eight. And it's a personal revelation of this new man that came and took over all of the fallen nature of Adam and Eve and, and mankind. And then from chapter nine, 10, and 11, he goes, he expands from a personal revelation to this global perspective of the redemptive plan of God and especially one of my favorite chapters Romans chapter 11 it talks about God's grand scheme of world redemption concerning Israel who carried the promises through centuries and now the gospel has gone out not just for Israel but to the nations and he talks about the interplay between Israel and the nations and it's this profound revelation now you have to understand Paul was probably one of the most qualified people of that day to write anything that we would consider remotely close to holy scriptures. Hebrew among Hebrews, scholar among scholars, you know, and so he had a lot going for understanding going for him as he was writing the scriptures. But in that moment of writing from what he knew, we know that the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, that as he was writing, his own words were revelation that was impacting him. Does that make sense? He's not just writing from memory or completely from understanding. He came into awe and new, renewed wonder of the plan of God for the entire world. And so the end of, end of uh, this is not even anywhere close to our topic for today. The end of chapter 11, here's what it says, Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, this is not a poetic 
doxology at the end of a chapter, or I should write something nice to, you know, we say, God bless you at the end of an email, blessings in Jesus' name. This is not that. This is a real, live expression of all of what he just wrote by inspiration. Does that make sense? He, I can imagine him, maybe he was, you know, sitting in a dimly lit room and on a chair and, you know, writing. And I can imagine him as he was finishing, to, coming to this last verse as he's writing, he probably keeled over, fell over, and he's still writing all oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How, how beyond under our own understanding is this plan of God. This is, this is how I want my heart to be in the Christmas season. This is how, this expression, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is how I want my heart to emote during this Christmas season. Because the story didn't happen all of a sudden out of nowhere. All of scriptures from the Old Testament scriptures, all of it talk about a coming Messiah. All of them point to this, this Savior who would come. And redeem Israel. And in some part, there was understanding, whether, whether there was understanding or not, they were written for Israel and the nations. So all the stories in the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the kings, they all pointed to this coming Messiah. All the priests who ministered before the Lord pointed to that high priest who would come. All the judges they had a sense there's something greater. We are adjudicating righteously because there's something greater that is coming. This is our hope. They didn't have it all figured out altogether, but they had this hope and expectation. All the Psalms, all the singers and poets, they wrote of something greater that would come. Oh, man. Any psalmist and any writer, we know David's Psalms, he's going through difficulties but he comes into the presence of the Lord and he, he begins to describe the glorious, the bigger plan of God. It overtakes them time after time after time. So much so that they had scribes in the temple because the psalmist and the singers and the priests were on the floor like Paul was. Oh, the depths of the riches. The master plan of God. While they were laid out, the scribe had to like probably lay it out too, but he had to write what was being said and what was being in that moment being exclaimed. This is how I want my heart to be. Altogether, Psalms of Israel, including all of the genealogies, the history, the inheritance of God throughout centuries, all of them spoke of a coming Messiah. Messiah is a word that we, Christ is a word that we use to understand Messiah, the one who will come and save us. So all of them pointed to Christ who would come, a messianic figure, but all of them were merely a shadow of what would eventually arrive. Every scripture, every prophet, every storyline talked about a coming Messiah, but in the genius wisdom and in the genius plan of God, with that much content talking about a singular saving figure who would come and redeem mankind, you would think, and this was their expectation, you would think he would arrive with an army behind him. And this is the way that he's going to come again. You would think he would come fulfilling the magnitude of what was written about him in glory and strength. 
But all of those scriptures, all of those proclamations, all of those prophecies and declarations about our coming Messiah pointed to him, but they were fulfilled in a young teenage Jewish girl called Miriam. Mary. What a plan. He did, when we read scriptures backwards, Backwards meaning we live now, we're looking back. He didn't need to write it this way. Don't you agree? He could have just showed up on the scene because he was, a, he was fully grown. It's hard to even describe this, you know. He was fully grown, fully God. He was there when the earth was formed. He could have just showed up on the scene. No one would have questioned him, where are you from? He could have come and began his three-year ministry. But in the genius plan of God, he tipped all known expectation and required every prophecy to be received by faith. He required every declaration to be received and understood by faith and by faith alone. No amount of biblical understanding would hold you in good stead when he came in this feeble, hidden womb of Mary. The theme and the title for this message today is the womb of Mary, God's obscure master plan. All of that pointed to this glorious Christ, but in his wisdom, chose to reveal it in the womb of Mary. His master plan that we would write differently, his master plan was obscure, unknown. This young teenage Jewish girl is the most unassuming fulfillment and culmination of centuries-old thread of redemptive story writing. No one would write this story like this. Nobody, not the greatest story writer. West Side Story, great story, but wouldn't even come close to this scene that began to unfold. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just looking into this scene. The womb of Mary, God's obscure master plan. Philippians says this about this, one of my favorite passages in scriptures. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We can all go home now. who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be, meaning he was fully equal with God in order for us to understand who this person of Christ already was. He didn't need to redefine and rediscover himself. He already was this eternal equality with God. But made himself, oh man, made himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Whew. Who would write a story like this? Why would you write it this way? We would have loved you and embraced you. If you came as a king, we would have loved you, God. 
Why did you have to die for us? We would have been saved with the very breath of your nostrils. Why did you write the story this way? Who being in the very form of God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Into the womb of not a queen, not the most popular person, not somebody who had the most likes on Instagram, not somebody who was cool and well-known, into the womb of a teenage girl that nobody knew about. But everything that he enters in becomes of the greatest worth and value. The womb of Mary, God's obscure, not just his master plan, his obscure master plan. Sometimes in our understanding of biblical personalities, we love everyone we read about. We have context for it. Old Testament and New Testament, but somehow we, in our context, have lost the value and the, and the centrality of this figure of Mary. I am stepping on toes a little bit. The historic church somehow grabbed a hold of this understanding by revelation and puts Mary pretty much at the center of their understanding of faith. I'll be bold to say this. This is not wrong. I thought it was quiet before. (laughs) We don't have the understanding of this one word called veneration. It's not non-existent in our worship understanding. But the historic church understood the veneration of this feeble young Jewish girl called Mary. Not important before, but as soon as the glory of God enters the scene, she becomes the center of the universe. This is not a Catholic teaching. I am immersed, my heart and my mind is immersed in scriptures right now. And the story that he chose to reveal himself to us. The historic church grabbed a hold of it. Unfortunately, our, the Protestant church, we've almost altogether lost that centrality, the value of this person of Mary. Thank you, Lord. She's sacred. Her womb is sacred. That moment of visitation is sacred. And she becomes the hinge between all that was spoken and all that will be. Thank you, Lord. I want to venerate Mary. I want to fully honor her in my devotion to God. For those who are on edge right now, already got your status, going to update a status with my picture on it. <laughs> Online, mm-hmm. Bring it. I worship no one else but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. End of story. But God's, his own master plan was to, that revelation to be revealed in the womb of a woman. 
She was chosen by God in that moment. She's sacrosanct in that moment of being, of, of being chosen. 400 years since the last prophet prophesied. You know what the prophecy was? In those days, in the last days, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's not just fathers, it's fathers and mothers. He's speaking of a revelation of what will still come in the context of family. And 400 years go by. Do you know what 400 years is? Four centuries. No matter how great the promises are, 400 years will put a dent on your hope. You could, be the, you could be the scribe, the dude who wrote the Old Testament. You're going to be out of, I mean, what are you going to believe? What are you going to tell those people who don't believe? What is your hope? What is the evidence of your hope? Nothing over four centuries. This is a context in which out of nowhere the angel appears to her. You would think for something so grand with a vast empty space of four centuries, she would at least get a text message. Mary, clean the house. Something big's coming. I'll explain later. Those are like the scariest texts. It would end with, ends with I'll explain later. It's almost like a telegram, you know? Wait, you wrote all that. Just tell me what's happening. But she got nothing. She was, I don't know what she was doing. All of a sudden... An angel enters her room. And this is what he says. In Luke 1.28, in the, in the historic church, this is celebrated on March 25th, nine months before Christmas, the Annunciation, the moment when the angel appears to Mary and declares this, begins to declare, open up and unfold this master plan. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. That is not optional in our reading of the story. Blessed are you among women. Highly favored one. And she's like, wait, what? What happened? There's no context. There's no explanation. There's no storytelling. The angel appears. She's afraid. Rejoice. Highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And it goes on in Luke 30 and 31. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. She's not married yet. She's betrothed to Joseph. She hasn't had intimate relationships with him out of which the biological process of bearing a son or a child would begin. So the angel is coming with a promise after 400 years. But even in this moment, as the angel declares, it's happening now. He comes into the family unit in stride after the prophecy, your sons, hearts of your sons to your the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. He comes right in the next stride to Mary saying, you have been favored by God to bear a son. But he doesn't make it easy as is the way of God. Everything requires faith. Everything, nobody gets a free get out of jail pass. Nobody. 
Everyone has to receive this message. He comes and disrupts their lives. Utterly disrupts their lives. A virgin betrothed to a man. Already the deal is done, but they haven't consummated their marriage. The angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. She's afraid and she asks this beautiful question. How can it be? Zacharias, not too long ago, asked a similar question, but it was different. Zacharias was, his question was, how do I know you're telling the truth? <laughs> and I'm thinking the angel is like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Okay, it's good. It's better for you to shut it for a while. Let me take care of it. Don't say a word. And the angel's like, God, I thought this guy, he's, he's a priest in the, whole, in the temple. He's, I thought he would have a little bit more going for him. And Zechariah says, how do I know you're telling the truth? And the angel answers him. Angels and Jesus have a way of answering questions without really answering the question. Really puts us in our place. How do I know you're telling the truth? And the, you know what the angel said? I stand in the presence of God. Dumb. That's all you need to know. Shut it. We'll take care of it. That was Zachariah's story. Mary says, how can it be? And he answers and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Everyone say this with me, come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest, say power of the highest. I'm not a Pentecostal preacher, but there's, there's purpose to that. We'll come back to the, at the end. This is his answer, not an answer. The whole, how will this happen? I, have, I don't know, man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, do you want to try that again? Because that made no sense whatsoever. But Mary said, her response, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So this is a scene that we're entering into this morning for our meditation and our focus. This glorious annunciation, this glorious message that was revealed to her and her response as soon as this happens, it says she quickly, Mary arose in verse 30. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Everybody say city of Judah. Quickly, it says she made haste as the, after the angel left to travel to the city of Judah. If you know where she was in near the Galilean region in Nazareth, we've been to Nazareth. We have friends who posted recently Christmas in Nazareth. I'm like, oh, this is so phenomenal. From Nazareth, it's 100 miles to get to the Judean hills. As soon as she receives this message, she makes haste and makes her journey to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt 
leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice saying, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, Elizabeth came into a full understanding both of the centrality of Mary and what her role was and the fulfillment of what she was carrying in her womb. Blessed are you, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's both. Because we have to understand God as not as a distant God, but God who belongs in the center of family. You can't celebrate and rejoice and worship Jesus without understanding the value of the woman who carried him in her womb for nine months and delivered him. Come on. We will be heartless to have that kind of understanding devoid of a certain veneration to who Mary is. I'm going somewhere with this. And in this exchange back and forth, Mary at the end proclaims, Elizabeth has a song, Mary, you know, whenever there's this, there's God is in the scene, Moses has a song, Miriam has a song, David is like songs all over the place. Elizabeth has a song, Zacharias has a song, Mary has a song called the Magnificat, what we know as the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, who has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. What part of that did we miss? Thank you, Lord. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is the name. And this is my favorite verse in that entire Storyline in verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who believed. She understood the transaction. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Come on. Blessed, Mary, blessed are you who believed because of your faith and your belief, those things that were spoken to you will come to pass. We have to engage fully into the things that God has spoken to us in order for those things to come to pass in our lives when those things don't appear as though they should. Such is the call of faith. Blessed is she who believes for there will be a fulfillment. This whole story is not a historic story. Not meant to be merely in history that we talk about Mary, but it's an invitation for all of us to realize something Mary-like about our own lives. It's an invitation for us to enter into the promises of God when nothing was spoken for a long time, when nothing is seen for a long time. There's no context for you to believe the things God has spoken to you. And what he has spoken to you may disrupt your life as you know it. But Mary, this young girl, if she can believe the most preposterous announcement, so can we. And we must. She was the first one to actually, physically, tangibly understand the reality of Christ in me. The hope of glory. 
Paul later writes about this in Colossians 1.20. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, namely Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you imagine? Paul's writing came way later. She didn't have any writings to, to fall back on. She lived it out. Could it be? After the angel left, you know, we've had four children. When you get the pregnancy test that, yay, you got something's happening, you don't see anything. Right? And I don't know what time, what, what time, what, we, how many weeks in, all of a sudden one morning, and, whoa, there's a, there's a little bump. Can you imagine that passage of time for Mary? She had to believe that something happened. My whole life is turned upside down. And it says about, about Joseph, that he being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her, put her away secretly. So there was chaos in their relationship. And you know, when women are, Pregnant for the first time. Uh, I, don't, I won't use any, any names or examples. <laughs> Everyone's story is different. But you tend to gain a little bit of weight, you know. As a first time. Maybe the bump comes first. Maybe they gain a little weight, you know. And I can imagine Joseph saying, Mary, what's going on? Huh? A marriage is coming. I bought the dress for you. Hey, Mary, look, I don't mean to be rude, but... Ease back on the pita and hummus a little bit, huh? You're gaining a little bit too much weight. And Mary says, Joseph, I got something to tell you. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of a sudden, she, real, she sees the bump for the first time. Can you imagine her own process? What she heard and what she believed for a short time period, now it's actually physically manifesting. She's like, it's real. And it says in the account of Joseph that they did not know each other intimately till after Jesus was born. So she, she was the only one who could confirm the process of the angelic visitation and what she's seeing in her womb growing in her. Colossians 1, 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness, in Jesus, all the fullness of God should dwell. Again, in Ephesians 3, 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mary is literally walking this out because in Christ, all the fullness dwells and now she's literally holding all the fullness of heaven inside of her. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you can, you can ask. Well, I understand Mary's story, but it's really not spiritually. The fullness of God really doesn't live inside of us in that same way. The very next verse says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you could ask. It is in the context that God wants to live inside of us in full measure. That the story of Mary is to invite us, if she can carry physically the entirety of heaven, we can carry him inside of us in full measure. How can this be? You could be like Zacharias or you could be like Mary. Thank you, Lord. And in that story, when she asked, how can this be? The answer was, we, we, read, we read it, right? The Holy Spirit will, what? Come upon you. 
and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Those are familiar verses as we realize something merry within ourselves. Those are fam- that's a familiar kind of commissioning. Thank you, Lord. There's another passage that I hear the same language in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When he is, Jesus is now at the other spectrum of his life, about to ascend to heaven. And the last thing he tells his disciples is, go wait in the upper room because the Holy Spirit will what? Come upon you. You shall receive Power, it's the exact same word that the angel speaks to Mary when she says, how can this happen physically in my body? He says, the power, the dunamis power. Dunamis means not just the enabling power, it is a miracle working power of God will come upon you and create something in you that doesn't belong naturally. It is the same commissioning in Acts 1.8. When he says to the disciples at the other spectrum of his life before ascending to heaven, he says, go wait in the upper room. The Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, miracle working power inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, when that power comes, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the only single work, full-time job of the Holy Spirit is to create Christ in me, the hope of eternal glory. Come on. If I was in a Pentecostal church, the, the, woo, the keys would be going, hey, the people running around the church right now. It is the same commission that came to Mary to birth Christ in her as a commission in Acts chapter 1 to the entire believing body. You shall receive the same power. There's a scripture that says, he who raised the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living inside of us. Let me rephrase that. The spirit that birthed Christ in Mary is living inside of you to birth Christ inside of you. We have to understand the role of Mary to understand the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Woo! Now, it doesn't end there. Come on. Let me just take a breath. It has to be the same commission. Are you with me? In the conception of Christ, in that moment, and... In the moment of ascension, and he leaves with us the same impregnation and the work. It has to be the same. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's the next verse? We all know it. Say it with me. And you will be my witnesses in, no one knows this, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's not an option for missionaries. It's not a suggested verse for those who think you're evangelists. This is the nature of God, the nature of Christ formed in us. You shall be my witnesses where? Say with me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When Mary received this commissioning from the angel and it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and it came upon her when she said, let it be to me 
you know what Mary did? With haste. She didn't wait a moment. It says, with haste, she got up from the Galilean region and she began her journey, compelled by now under the influence of a whole new paradigm of life and kingdom reality. She doesn't even know it, but she travels from the north in the Galilee, in the Galilean region, 100 miles, pregnant. from Galilee to get to Judea, the Judean hills, you have to go first through Samaria, then you have to go through Jerusalem, and then to Judea. In the moment of conception and the Holy Spirit inside of her, she doesn't even know the full reality, but she's fulfilling the mandate, the final commission. She becomes a conduit. She becomes a channel. She becomes a vehicle of the gospel of God. Come on. To Jerusalem, she goes. To Samaria, some scholars say that she walked around Samaria because it was dangerous. They don't know what they're talking about. You don't get to skirt the things that God has ordained for you to walk in. Come on. She is now no longer a hidden figure, an obscure woman, but now she's in the center of the movement of the pure gospel of God that she singularly is carrying inside of her. I'm going to go through Samaria. I'm going to go through Jerusalem, and I'm going to Judea. We get to grab a hold and take it to the ends of the earth. Come on. Come on. Stand to your feet with me. This is a power of evangelism that we need to understand is beyond what you feel, what you're qualified for. How do I share the gospel? Do you carry Christ in you? The hope of glory. Do you carry the incarnate Christ in you like Mary did? We have to venerate this sacrosanct figure of Mary in order to understand what we carry, the value and the glory and the beauty of what we carry inside of us. Thank you, Lord. That when you get to that place, you don't need to look useful, smart, or learned, or well-versed in evangelistic exploits. You need to carry Christ. When she came into Elizabeth's house, you know what she said? Shalom Aleichem, Elisheva. Boo! Elizabeth was filled. The baby inside Elizabeth began to kick and leap in the womb. It says about John the Baptist that he was filled with the Spirit before he was born. This was the moment. Woo! What we carry does not need our qualification. Carry Christ. Carry Christ. The fullness of Christ in me, the hope of glory. What started in the womb of Mary, God's obscure master plan, becomes the incarnate commission for the salvation of the whole world. Your commissioning is the incarnate commissioning. Is Christ incarnate inside of us. We continue 
The story of Mary, she's not the only one who experienced the incarnate, incarnation of Christ. We continually woo, receive the incarnation of Christ in us. Thank you, Lord. If you want this fresh participation in the story in this season, just put your hands up to the Lord. God, I want it. Fresh incarnation. New incarnation for this moment. For all that I need and more. That he would do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ask or imagine so that Christ could be formed in you the hope of, hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. And you shall be like Mary, witnesses to me in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and the ends of the earth. And we participate in that together with Mary. It's not based on my calling. It's not based on my gifts. It's not based on my skill. It is entirely based on you in me, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, I want to, I want you, I want to invite you to come up to the front. We'll take a few more minutes, ask the worship team to lead us. Thank you, Lord. God, I want it in my life more than ever before, more than I realize. Come alive in me. Come and live in me like you did in Mary. Become incarnate. Christ in me, the hope of glory in this season. Come on. Don't even wait for prayer team. This is for all of us, guys. We want it, Lord. Tiff and the team, you can lead us. Thank you, Lord. So give yourselves to him in a new way. Thank you, Lord. That nothing will be callous in our minds and in our lives of who he is inside of us and how much he considers us a part of that master plan. Thank you, Lord.
sing that together. Jesus, you're the king, you're the center of it all. Come be enthroned, Jesus. And Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our heart. Behold your servants, God. Let it be done to us as you please and as you plan. Come and take your throne, your rightful place. voices and sing that to him. a blessing to every family here and every extended family all that we carry Christ for all the mission and the co-mission that we have with Christ that you have been designed for we release a fresh courage to fulfill every plan if you feel obscure you're in the center of it all. If you feel like, man, what does my life amount to? You're in the center of it all. Receive a fresh commissioning in this holiday season, in this Christ-centered season to carry Him for your families, for your children, for your neighborhoods, even if their lights are better than yours, that you carry Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's just say that all together. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of eternal glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. Be blessed as you make your way home. Come on, let's just give the Lord an offering of praise. Hallelujah. You're released to pick up your children if they're in the classes. If you need to stay up and linger more, 
you're welcome to do that. If you need prayer, there will be prayer teams. They'll be happy to pray with you for anything that's on your heart. God bless you.